Robert Pittman, who started, was the founder in the Brain Trust, if there was a brain behind it, uh, behind MTV. He was the guy that launched MTV back in the early 70s. Was asked one time, after that had been going a little while and it proved to be a rather raging success in the secular world, he was asked by an individual one time in an interview, said, what's your target audience? Who are you reaching for? He, they, they, they even gave him a suggestion. He said, are you, are you targeting like, do you target 14-year-olds? His response was this. He said, sir, MTV does not target 14-year-olds. We own 14-year-olds. I doubt if uh, Mr. Pittman will ever hear the tape of tonight or ever get word of what I'm about to say. But I would like to go on record this evening and let him know if he would ever hear this, that there, are, there is a group of kids who operate on this principle. I am bought with a price. I am not my own. And those voices from this world that claim to lay ownership to us have got it all wrong. I belong. Oh, yeah, I'm not my own. You're right. But I was bought with the shed blood of Calvary that was spilled for me, and I don't belong to anything this world has. I've been purchased by somebody higher. Amen. Amen. I'm very anxious to preach to you this week, and I've come with some things I think the Lord would have me say to you. I'm going to do my very best to do that. Now, look. I understand there's people caught in traffic. I understand you were caught in traffic, a bunch of you. And if you didn't leave early, you didn't get here. And there's probably folks that are going to pull into town after we're done. And I understand all that. But I've only got three nights to preach to you, and I'm not going to shrug one of them off and just say, well, we'll just, we'll just kind of put in time and write this one off, and we'll start tomorrow. I ain't going to do that. You may try to, but I'm not going to. I'm going to, I'm going to preach with fervor tonight. And... I've got something to say. First Kings chapter 18. First Kings chapter 18, and I'll read beginning in verse number 17. First Kings chapter 18 and verse number 17. I'm going to tell you before I even begin tonight that um, I don't really like altar calls. I like altar response. I believe in response in the altar, and we'll have some every service by the grace of God. But I get frustrated with having to beg people to come pray after you've preached yourself to death. I, I don't do real good with altar calls. I just want to come out and snatch you out of your chair and sling you up here. And so I'm going to give you advance warning tonight and just advance notice. I really don't plan to give much of an altar call tonight. But I've been in my room this afternoon talking to the Holy Ghost, and He has assured me that He's going to. And so I'm just going to give you this word. At whatever point in this message that the Holy Ghost speaks to you and beckons you and tugs on you, you need to move. And if I'm not done preaching, I'll keep preaching. And if I am done, I'll stop. But when the Spirit of the Lord beckons you, you better respond to Him because He is not obligated to say it twice. He is not obligated to come down your row and tap you on the shoulder again if you ignore Him the first time. Now, He's gracious and He's apt to, but He's not obligated to. And so when the Spirit of the Lord beckons you tonight, at whatever point in this message, if I've preached five minutes or fifty, we'll let the Lord orchestrate what happens here this evening. Is that alright? We comfortable with that? I am. Since I have the microphone, I guess that's what counts. First Kings chapter 18 and verse number 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, 
that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house. In that ye have forsaken the commandment of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore sin, and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the groves four hundred, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. Amazing, just this next statement just shatters me. And the people answered him not a word. Folks, this is not rocket science. If the Lord be God, serve Him. If this lump of stone over here that hasn't answered is God, serve Him. And the people sat there and went, They made about as much noise as some of you have made tonight. They answered him not a word. How long halt ye between two opinions? I'm going to preach to you tonight on the topic, how long? I want you to put your Bibles down and uh, I want you to... I want you to pray. I don't want you to pray for me right now, okay? You can pray for me all day tomorrow and, and, and after the rest of this message, that's all fine. But right now, I, want you, I don't want you to pray for the person beside you. I don't want you to ask God to touch them. I don't care how big a heathen he is or she is. I want you right now to ask God to touch you. And I'm going to ask that every person in this house, if you're five or 105, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands to heaven and say, God, whatever you want to say to me tonight, I want to receive that. Nobody can pray this for you. You've got to pray it for yourself. Would you do that right now? Would you cooperate with me? Everybody in here, lift your hands and just say, God, whatever you're going to say tonight to me, I want to receive it. I, I'm not looking for you to touch anybody else, but I want you to speak to me, Jesus. I want you to, I want you to give me a word. I want to hear from you tonight, Lord. Jesus, we lift our hearts and our hands and our voices to You tonight. And whatever You want to say to us as individuals, we give ourselves to that. I pray, Lord God, You'd accomplish Your purpose over the next little while here. Let the strength of the grace of God penetrate some hard hearts tonight. Draw us by Your Spirit and bring us, Lord, to the place where You can work on us. I ask it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, I don't just want you to use your hands as a substitute for your voice, but I want you to put your hands together to accompany your voice. Open your mouth and give praise to God with your lips. Come on, you, it's not a substitute. The clapping of hands is not a replacement for your voice. Lift your voice and give praise to God. You can't do it with your lips closed. Open your mouth and give praise to God tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus, we bless Your name. We bless Your name, Lord Jesus. Glory and honor and majesty to the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That feels pretty good. I kind of is feeling better. I'm, I'm, I'm getting closer to being ready to preach. Jesus, we bless Your name tonight. We give You glory. We give You honor. Your name is great. Your greatness is unsearchable. Everything You do, You do well. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen, amen. You can be seated. God bless you. Time. You know, I understand that from a, from a scientific standpoint, time is a concrete element. Time is, um, is fixed. It, it, a second is a second no matter where you go. Uh, uh, a second scientifically is defined as, as, as the season of, of time that, that it takes for a certain wavelength of a certain colored light to go by a given point in space. I remember that from physics in college. That's about all I remember, but I do remember that. Uh, theoretically, or really scientifically, a, a, a second is a second is a second no matter where you go. It's the same duration of time in one place as it is in another. And, and, and a second on one day is as long as a second is on another day. It doesn't vary week to week or season to season. And yet, I, I would tell you that the perceived length of a season... A little, a little hot. You did good. I wouldn't dare tell you to turn it down, but it's just a little bit probably on the high end it's a little hot. The perceived length of the passage, that's great right there. The perceived length of a passage of time varies greatly depending on what you're doing during that season. Okay? How long it takes for a period of time to go by is fixed, but the way it seems to go by is defined by what you're doing. You want an example? I think I could very well prove to you that an hour spent cruising through the Panama Canal will be a lot shorter than an hour spent cruising through a root canal. Now, the same grains of sand fall through the hourglass and the same ticks of Mickey's big hand go by. But I promise you, the one will seem a lot longer than the other. While both might encompass the same amount of time in the scientific sense, one of them is going to seem a lot longer because the activity that you're engaged in makes all of the difference. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Scott Graham. One of the activities in life which seems to stretch time out to its very slowest passage one of the things that I have to do from time to time that makes time just slow down to a cold molasses pace is waiting. I don't do well waiting. I don't like to wait. I don't like to sit in traffic while people, for some strange reason, slow down. For no apparent reason at all. There's no construction. There's no accident. There's just an overwhelming urge to press on the brake. I don't get it. <sighs> and you wait. And you sit there. And you wait until finally somebody goes, Oh, it's the other pedal that makes the car go. Just drives me nuts. I, I, I don't do well waiting. I am confessing a flaw in my own character. But I, I, don't, I don't like being put off. I don't get a big kick out of going into a restaurant where I'm going to drop money for my family to eat and have them tell me that for the privilege of having to spend that money, I need to wait an hour. I don't like doctor's offices where I sit there bleeding. You know, emergency rooms. You have your arm laying cut off in the floor and they say, it'll be just a little while, Reverend Graham, before we'll be with you. And you sit there, and you sit there, and you sit there for four hours while your arm starts crawling into the back seeking its own help. I don't do well waiting. They have a room in the hospital that I can't think of anything that could be much worse. They call it the waiting room. I can't stand that. Because the problem, you see, is that they haven't told me how long I'm going to be there. I don't like waiting. I pulled up in a drive-thru a while back at a, at a McDonald's or something. I was going to buy my son a bag full of cholesterol. 
you know, really healthy stuff. And I'm going through the drive-thru because it's supposed to be quick, right? And I pull up and I place my order, you know. I'll have a bag of cholesterol, please. How much? Thank you. I'll pull right around, you know. So I pull around, pull around to the window, or I try to pull around to the window. But in front of me, when I get around the side of, of, of Mickey's Happy Kingdom there, is, is, is a car in the, is sitting there by the window. And I pull up. I think it'll be just a minute, right? We're, we're this quick. And so I pull up there and I'm waiting. And finally, they hand the bag through the window and give it to the lady, and she has to inspect it, you understand. To be sure that the pickles are on the... And apparently they left off a pickle, because I saw her hand the bag back inside. And then they finally remake whatever and hand it back out, and she inspects it again. And I don't know, the fries were cold then or something. It went back in the window again. Like a, like a relay race they keep handing this baton off back and forth I said, somebody finished and, and, and it went on you know and, and, and finally 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 they got the order right and the change was right she pulled away and I pulled up there and I was so aggravated I'm just and I, I go up there and throw the money and they give me the sandwich I didn't even look to see if they got what Jeremy wanted you're eating it kid we're on our way and I looked at the clock I looked at the digital clock on the dash you know to find out how many days I had been there and I will have you know that I had been in that drive-thru for six minutes. And I got tickled at myself at that point because I thought in that length of time I couldn't even found the peanut butter in the pantry to make him a sandwich if we'd have been at home. It was still... But I just... There was something about sitting there waiting. I thought that we had gone through three presidential administrations in the States before I got that sandwich. I was going nuts because I didn't know how long I was going to be there. I, I didn't know when finally was going to come the time that I got to go. And something about that process, the open-ended nature of not knowing when it's going to end, just drives me to the point of pulling my hair and saying, enough already, just somebody do something. I want somebody to move. You've had enough time. It's been long enough. Come on, I'm waiting. And so I will admit that when I'm in a storm in life or when my world is shaken I am prone to I probably ought not do it but I am prone on occasion to look into the heavens and say God how long how long am I going to suffer how long until you answer how long until the miracle comes how long am I going to have to sit here this crisis did not come with a timetable and there's no warning bell to alert me to the miracle on the way I don't know when this this is going to be over. And so I joined my voice with the Scriptures in asking the question, How long? Psalm 13 and 1. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? And how long wilt thou hide thy face from me? Psalm 35 and 7. How long wilt thou look on? Psalm 74 and 10. How long shall the adversary reproach? Psalm 80 and 4. O Lord God of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? Psalm 89 and 37. How long, Lord, dost thou hide thyself? Psalm 94 and 3. How long shall the wicked...
back at Triumph, back at one and two. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? I understand that type of prayer. I've prayed it a few times myself when I said, God, I don't know when this is going to be over. How long am I going to go through this? But my particular focus today is not, however, in the cry of a man toward his God that says, God, how long is it going to be until you move? But instead, tonight, I wish to preach for a little while, and it won't be real long, about what it is when God looks back at humanity and asks that same question. When He looks back at people that ought to have already made a decision and says, how long is it going to be before you move? Oh, it's easy for us to look at you can do it why aren't you already moving but I feel like tonight there's a voice in the spirit that's going to speak to some of you and say come on kids how long until you move how long until you decide how long until you make a decision how long will you just go to church without having a relationship with me how long will you go through motions that don't have any life in them how long Are you going to pretend to be one thing on Sunday and be another thing on Monday? How long until you decide that you're going to give me everything you've got? How long are you going to be hostage to what your friends think? How long are you going to sit in church and not move when I call you? How long? In the text that I read to you tonight, Elijah comes to this point at the end of a three-year drought. At his word, at the word of the Lord through his lips, there has been neither rain nor dew for three years. Folks, things will get downright dry after three years with no rain. And the voice of the Lord comes to him. King Ahab is needless to say some upset. The voice of the Lord comes to Elijah and says, Go show yourself to Ahab. Not exactly what I'd get a big kick out of doing. You're the guy that shut down the rain. The country's all dried up. Now you're going to go show yourself to a wicked king. He said, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah goes and meets up with King Ahab. And Ahab, when he sees him, says, Are you he that troubleth Israel? So I'm not the one giving Israel trouble. You are because you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you've not done what's right. He said, here's what I want you to do, Ahab. I want you to gather together the 450 prophets of Baal. And I want you to get the 400 prophets of the groves. Get those 850 men along with all Israel and bring them up to the top of Mount Carmel. And here comes Elijah, that old gray-headed prophet, walking up to the top of that mountain. He is confronted there by 850 false rulers and a whole nation that has been led astray and turned their back on God. When that man of God looked into the face of people who knew so much, or at least who should have known so much, and yet were waffling in their commitment toward their Creator, something welled up inside of him. When he considered all that God had done for them, when he considered everything they knew, when he considered the roads they had traveled, these were not pagans, these weren't bunch of idolaters that didn't know nothing. This was Israel. You understand me? This was not a bunch of folks that didn't know what God was like. This was Israel. If anybody was robbed of excuses, it was them. I want to tell you something. If anybody on this planet has no excuse, it's us. 
Come on now. We've heard enough preaching to save this planet. You've had enough preaching. You've got no excuses left. You're not a bunch of pagans that don't know nothing. You've been in service after service, sermon after sermon, camp after camp. Some of you have heard enough preaching. You've got no excuses to make. And the Holy Ghost sent me to ask you, how long? How many more messages? How many more services? When are you going to decide? I may not be voted most popular tonight because I'm going to get right in your face. But I'm here to tell you we know too much. We've been too blessed. We've been given too much. We've seen too much to ever wonder about which way we ought to go. Something welled up in the heart of that prophet. And he uttered the same two words of them that we have often uttered of God. How long? When are you finally going to decide to live for God with everything you've got? When are you going to stop bowing down to idols? When are you going to tear down your false ways? How long? I must tell you, I have a little bit of that spirit of the prophet on me tonight. I was in my room this afternoon. I got up at 5 o'clock this morning. I was a little sleepy coming up here. I said, I'm going to go take a nap. I went up and tried to lay down and the Holy Ghost would not let me sleep. I I tried to flop around and rest and I couldn't. God kept pushing me I'd get up and pray a while and go back and try to lay down and the Holy Ghost had pushed me again. I'd spend those hours in my room and the Spirit of the Lord constrains me tonight. I'd rather have one of these other men up here to sound this trumpet, but I must speak the Word He has put in my lips. And tonight God sent me to ask you, not the guy next to you, not the girl down the way. God sent me to ask you, how long when is serving Him going to stop being just one more thing you do and become everything in your life? How long? When are you going to sell out and give it all to God? How long? When will you stop crying to hold on to the world with one hand and the cross with the other hand? How long? How many more services will it take? How long? How many more messages do you have to hear? How long? How many more moves of God will you require until you finally decide this is for me? As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Come on, somebody. If He's God, serve Him. If not, then go your way and do what you want. But if He's God, make a decision. How long? I'm going to be your friend tonight, I hope. But there comes a point that you can't just pacify the Holy Ghost by going... There comes a point that some of you are going to come to tonight. I wish I had stairs. I'd hurt myself if I jumped down there. I can't do that. There's going to come a point where the Holy Ghost is going to single you out. And it's happening right now and some of you are squirming and uncomfortable because you know God's talking to you and you know it's not anybody else. And God's bringing you to a point of decision tonight and He's not going to let you off the hook. He's not going to let you shrug this one off and say, well, we'll settle it Saturday night or Sunday morning or, or maybe when more people get here. No, 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 no. God is going to walk right down your row and He's going to put His holy finger in your face and say, I've done enough for you already. I've been good enough for you already. You've heard enough already. You're going to decide tonight. You're going to make a decision. Ain't no more in between. No more maybe. No more wishy-washy. No more kind of, I don't know, sort of maybe. Maybe if everybody does know, it's going to get right between your elbows and you're going to say, God, I've been messing around long enough. I'm planting my feet tonight on the other side of the line. And as for me, I don't care what he does and I don't care what she does and I don't care if they laugh at me and I 
can't they walk away from me? I've been in this long enough. I'm going to make a decision. I want to tell you something tonight. There were at least two simple reasons that those people that day should not have waited one moment longer to choose. The first, and they are very simple. They are not theologically profound, I assure you. I don't know if I've ever had one of those. But I promise you this much, this is, this is elementary. But there were two reasons that they should not have waited another minute to decide what they were going to do with their life. The first of those is that these people, of all people alive, knew the blessings of His goodness. Man, I'm not talking about a bunch of Hittites or Hivites or Jebusites or any of the rest of those ites. I'm not talking about a bunch of people that God hadn't blessed and taken care of. I'm talking about Israel. Israel could not stand on that mountain that day and kind of sit back and say, well, I don't know if I want to serve Him because I, I, I just don't know. No, there was too much in their background that screamed out of their history books that said this God that Elijah's talking about, He's a good God. Now, come on, somebody. There were some things back behind them that said, hey, you want to know why you ought to serve Him? How about the Red Sea? There was some stuff back there that said, how about manna and water from the rock? How about plagues on Egypt? There was some stuff behind them that said, you want a reason to serve God? Here's a reason. What He's done for you has already been so good that you don't have to think too long about what to do tonight. You want a reason to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ? Why don't some of you take a look behind you and see where He brought you from? Somebody right now needs to look back and remember Egypt and say, I remember the night that the Holy Ghost came down, broke the chains off my... Somebody needs to look back and remember when you were in slavery and in Egypt, but then God drowned your enemy in the depths of the sea, set you free. Come on, somebody. Took that addiction out of your life. Broke that chain off your neck. You want to know why you ought to serve Him? Because He's been good to you. And I'm sorry, but I run out of patience a little bit with people who have been so blessed by God and then can't decide to be committed to Him. I just run a little short of patience that God's been so good to somebody, but they can't make up their mind to serve Him. But when you remember taskmasters' whips and the horror of slavery, and then you remember the night God came down with His mighty hand, I just wonder, does anybody here remember coming out of the water when you were baptized in Jesus no. See, I'm not sure some of you do because you're giving me that perfunctory. Do you remember what it was like to be lost and on your way to hell and then the blood of Christ wash you free of every sin and set you on a different path? Honey, if you remember that, then there ought to be nothing that even enters into your mind except I'm going to live for Him. I'm going to make my decision. If He's God, I know He's God because He's been too good to me. I have, a, I have a good pastor friend that told me about a lady walking in his office one night and 
or came in to see him one day, actually during the day, during the week, and she said, Pastor, she said, we're leaving the church. We're quitting. Walking away. I said, oh, that's right. We're just tired of fighting and tired of, the, tired of all the battle and we're quitting. It's all. He said, well, there's something I want you to do for me first. She said, okay. He said, well, we'll come over here. And he sat her down there by... He sat behind his desk and she sat on the other side. He reached in his desk. He told me and pulled out a piece of paper, slid it across the desk to her and handed her an ink pen. And he said, before you go, I want you to number that page one to ten. So she did. You know, one, one two, three, four, five, seven, nine, ten. He said, now I want you to list on that page the top ten ways that God has been bad to you since you came to Him. I want you to list the top ten mean things He's done to you. Why don't you list the top ten ways he's abused you? And she said, why? He said, well, is that hard? He said, well, then let me give you a different assignment. So I want you to write down on that page the top ten ways that God has blessed you since you came to the church. He said, I'm going to help you get started. He said, I was here the night you and your husband came stumbling in the back door, a bunch of couple of crack addicts, all strung out on drugs. And when I put you down in water in Jesus' name and you came out talking in tongues, I watched God break that addiction off your neck. Write that down. She said, came in here hooked on drugs and God set me free. He said, and I know that your marriage was on the rocks and your home was about to bust up and God's put your home back together and put your marriage back together and you got those beautiful kids. I want you to write that down. God healed my family. He said, and I remember that little two-year-old baby of yours when he was in the hospital and the doctor said, ain't no hope for him. Crack had his effect on him when you were pregnant with that boy, and there ain't no answer. He's going to die. But he said, I was the guy that took oil on my finger and anointed that boy and prayed for him. And he's normal today. He was sitting on the pew beside you Sunday night. He's six now, and he's got the Holy Ghost right back down. God healed my boy. And he said, I didn't have to say anything else. She wrote number four, number five, and number six, and number seven. Turned the page over and filled up the back and kept writing. Said, Pastor, you got another sheet of paper? And he handed her another piece. She wrote, 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 wrote. Wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, all right, hold it. And he took the paper away from her. And he walked to the door of the church. And he opened the door and he laid the papers down on the threshold. He said, you can leave if you want to. But when you go, you're walking out on the blessings of God. She picked those papers up and said, Pastor, we'll see you Sunday. I can't leave. He's been too good to me. Hey, somebody, make a choice tonight. He's been good to you. What are you waiting on? I wish you'd throw yourself into the arms of Jesus Christ with everything you've got. He brought us out of Egypt. He gave us water from a rock. He's been a healer, a provider, a counselor, a friend. He's walked with me, talked with me. There's nothing else He's got to do. He's been good to me. Are you going to tread on His blessings? How long are you going to demand that He take care of you but not give anything back? How long? How long? How long? Oh, when I'm 21, when I'm 25, when I'm 28, you better get it straight. Choose you this day. One reason they should have thrown themselves into His arms immediately was they knew how good God was. But I'm going to tell you something else tonight. 
There's another reason those people should run to the altar. There's another reason those people should have fought. When Elijah asked that question, how long halt you between two opinions, choose you this day whom you will serve man, when he asked that question, they should have fought. Because not only did they know how good he could be when he blessed, they of all people knew how tough he could be when he cursed. Now maybe the Jebusites down the road thought that when God got upset, He just frowned a little. Maybe the Hivites down the way thought that when God got aggravated, He'd just fix it so their corn didn't do as good that year. Maybe even Ahab, backslidden that he was, thought as tough as God gets is just withholding rain. But Israel knew. Israel, of all people, had seen up close and personal the fierceness of the wrath of God when it is unveiled in the life of a man or a nation. I want to be balanced tonight. I don't want to get out of focus and I don't want to get too far off on one side. But I fear sometimes we have made God so much our heavenly buddy that we have forgotten that He's got a backbone made out of steel as well. You better hear what I've got to say tonight even if you don't like it. We've made God out to be this big fuzzy teddy bear in the sky that doesn't have any obligation except just to bless us and take care of us. And we've forgotten what the Scripture says about the wrath of God being visited on the head of those that hold the truth in unrighteousness. You better understand Israel should have known because they knew of a man named Uzzah who had touched the ark of God and been blown in half by the power of God. They knew of Nadab and Abihu a couple of men that offered strange fire and incense to the Lord and God consumed them with His own fire. They had listened to the story of the Israelites and how God sent deadly serpents among them in Numbers chapter 21 when they murmured and complained and criticized their elders. They knew of the hand of God that had smitten Pharaoh with frogs and flies and lice and darkness and they knew about firstborn falling dead in the streets. They knew about God sending David a pestilence when he wrongly numbered the people and 70,000 corpses laying on the ground like cordwood. They knew what God would do when the cup of His wrath was full. Surely, surely, surely people that knew a God like that would run to Elijah. And yet the people answered Him not a word wrong with you? I could see Elijah with fire in his eyes. What's wrong with you? Don't you know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about a God that blesses when He blesses and curses when He curses. How dare you play around with a God like that? Don't you understand who I'm talking about? Don't you know? You've seen Him roll up His sleeve. You've seen Him smite the nations. You would think surely people that understood that would not stand on a mountain with blank faces 
places and look at a preacher and say, we're not sure which way to go. Well, it still happens today because you would think that young people that know a God that can bless like God blesses but can punish like God punishes would not sit there in a chair on the first night of youth convention and just say, oh, I'll wait for another message. I'll wait for another service. I'll wait for another time. You'd think that somebody would get so desperate they say, I don't care what you think. You stay here if you want to. I've got to make my decision. I've got to get to an altar. I've got to settle the issue. Surely, 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 words like, behold, I come quickly, would drive somebody. Oh, the Holy Ghost is reaching so hard right now. Surely, the words of Scripture, Behold, I come quickly, would drive some young person to pray. Surely, the promise of an eternal lake of fire would compel somebody to make a decision tonight. Surely, the promise of eternal judgment would make somebody stop flirting with worldly ways and say, I'd rather get to the altar tonight than have to face the judgment bar tomorrow. I ask tonight with all the fervor I have in my spirit. How long will you continue to ignore the conviction that's calling to you right now? How long will you wrestle in sleep when the Holy Ghost is calling you? How long will you pretend the coming of the Lord isn't nigh? How long will you tell yourself there'll always be tomorrow? How long will you say, I'll go next week? How long will you sit in the pew and watch Watch eternity comes closer day by day. How long will you pretend that the biblical authority that rests on your pastor can be ignored without consequence? How long will you dress any way you want and watch anything you want and still expect God to bless you? How long? Are you going to take chances with your salvation? How long are you going to gamble with your eternal soul? How long will you tread on His grace and walk on His mercy? How long? Close your eyes right now because the Holy Ghost is talking to some of you. You close your eyes right now and you better obey God right now, son. Bob, I don't care if everybody in that youth group thinks you're the hottest thing that ever came out of school. You better obey God right now. Honey, I don't care if every boy in that youth group thinks you're the coolest thing that ever walked. You better obey God right now because I know where I am in the Spirit and the Holy Ghost is beckoning to some of you and saying, make a... You say, but Brother Graham, I always just come when the whole group comes. I, I don't want to make a spectacle of myself. I don't really care what anybody sees or what anybody thinks or how they act or what they do. But the Holy Ghost is trying to keep you out of hell tonight, sweetheart. The Holy Ghost is trying to keep you from being lost tonight. And you're sitting there on the pew saying, well, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week. How long? Oh, sure. You don't have to. You can just sit there and, and everybody doesn't need to come. You can just sit there and go to Denny's and have your burger and go to the lock-in and say, well, they'll always be tomorrow. But what if tonight is the night that trumpet is put to lips and the rapture happens and God wraps it all up and your last chance was right now and your last altar service, you're missing it while you sit there in a pew. What if tonight is your night of salvation? What if tonight is the night that God beckons to you? What if tonight He says, 
like He says in Exodus 10, how long will you refuse to humble yourself? What if God speaks to you like in Exodus 16, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments? What if God speaks like Numbers 14, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it believe until they believe me? What if God speaks like Numbers 14, 27, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation? I'm calling to some young person tonight. Get on your knees in this altar. Humble yourself before God and settle it once and for all. How long? Everybody knows about the love of Jesus. I do. Come on, there needs to be a sound of weeping and wailing coming up out of this altar. Some of you need to humble yourself on this concrete and put your knees down. There's something about a posture of prayer when you humble yourself. It's a public testimony. I'm bowing my knee before the Lord. Someday every knee will bow. Anybody knows Someday every knee will bow. You'll either do it now or you'll do it later. But every knee's going to bow someday. Oh, I do. If anybody knows about the love of Everybody knows about the grace of Jesus. Come on, respond to Him tonight, son. The Holy Ghost is calling to you tonight. He's trying to keep you out of hell. That's what's happening here. Everybody knows about the grace of Jesus. I do. Everybody knows about the love of Jesus. Come on, sweetheart, call out to God right now. Settle the issue. I can't control what anybody else does, but God, you've been so good to me. I gotta make a decision tonight. I do. Everybody knows about the love of Jesus. I do. Oh, I do. Everybody knows about the love of Jesus. I do. Yeah. Everybody knows about the power of Jesus. I do, Lord, I do. If anybody knows.
Everybody knows 